Welcome back to Veritas. I'm Mel Hofsarik. My special guest is Timothy Alberino. And Timothy, before the break, we start talking about Hypatia and the similarities with the story of Osiris in a way. And uh, essentially, the reason why she was killed was because this is 400 AD and uh, she was a pagan. A lot of people were converting from paganism to Christianity in order to protect themselves against religious hostility, but she refused. She was a mathematician, one of the smartest people in, in, in Alexandria. And by the way, folks, Alexandria was burned twice, not just once. But I have a question that I'm curious about. With the story of Osiris, Isis, and Horus, some people are reporting some similarities between the story of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Joseph. Do you see any correlation between those two stories? Um, <clears throat> only in a, only in a, in a very superficial way. Um, the, some people will say, for example, that, you know, there seems to be sort of a, a, a Trinity dynamic happening between, uh, Osiris, Isis and Horus. And also the fact that, uh, that Horus was the son of Osiris the son of a god, basically the, right. the the hybrid son of a god, not the hybrid son of a god, the full fledged son of a god, and so only in the most superficial way. Um, but the the manifestation of Jesus of Nazareth, according to the scriptures, according to the 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 prophecies that were spoken concerning him thousands of, of years in anticipation of his arrival, even astronomical things that aligned and predicted his arrival. Uh, and then, of course, the fact that the person uh, of Jesus of Nazareth is a historical um, figure, that this is a historical figure, this is not a mythological figure, rather a historical figure with an overwhelming amount of evidence that not only did he actually live, but that that uh, there's there's uh, let's put it this way there's the the fact of the resurrection has never been uh, debunked and so uh Jesus of Nazareth is a very historical figure whereas Horus who would be his equivalent in in the uh in the trifecta of of Osiris Isis and Horus Horus is a clearly a mythological figure, and and so there. Are, this is one of the many things that makes the story of Jesus of Nazareth unique, uh, apart from the very superficial uh, correlations that, that that one might find. Obelisks. You talk about the phallus, the missing phallus of Osiris, and I wonder if there's any correlation between the obelisks and the fact that Rome has more obelisks than anywhere else in the world. And we mm -hmm. see them in Paris. We see them in London. We see them at the Vatican. We see them in, in Washington, D.C. What what's your take? And by the way, the biggest one of all stayed behind in Asr is Aswan. Uh, they didn't finish it. What's your take on obelisks? Well, don't forget the biggest obelisk of all is the Washington Monument. Washington there you go. DC. Right. Yep. Right. That's positioned right in front of the Capitol building. That, and that represents a phallus and a womb. Exactly what it rep represents. By and the, the way, Oval of, Office, the Ovum, right? That's right. It, exactly what it what it represents. Also, at the Vatican, with the, uh, I believe that 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 particular, uh, that that particular um, obelisk is the obelisk of Heliopolis, 
and and it is positioned right in front of a capital like building the right. vatican with with the dome which also represents a phallus in a dome so the obelisk absolutely represents a phallus it is it is the and it's specifically the phallus of osiris that isis uh fabricated uh, and uh, and used to impregnate herself inseminate herself with uh, with horus and it is a it is a it's an occult symbol and and again the and by the way this is this is why the masons who configured the layout of washington washington dc which of course we all know that washington dc was laid out by the masons yep. and uh, the masons have their headquarters right in washington dc um one of their primary headquarters and that the the whole um the 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 whole obelisk dome relationship configuration is a magical configuration and it is supposed to represent the um the again the phallus and the womb and the bringing forth of horus that's what that represents and horus is in in the mind of the occult not just the masons but across the board the rosicrucians and all of the other ancient esoteric societies they all believe that there is a man coming in the future, a God-man, who is going to come as a result, going to arrive as a result of their activity, them being the members of the these esoteric societies, secret societies in these es- esoteric organizations, that they are going to bring about the, the birth of a great king. And the Masons refer to him as the philosopher king. And they're looking forward to the coming of this great king, this great ruler, this great philosopher. Um, and that he's going to be coming to the world as a result of the great working, which is one of the phrases that they use to describe this and this, this, the advent of this great king. And so the, when you see that, when you see an obelisk, especially when it's positioned in front of a dome, that is intentional. Every time it is intentional. The obelisk and the dome represent the phallus of Osiris, uh, 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 the, the phallus of Osiris, the womb of Isis, so that the birth of Horus can be effectuated. That's what that represents. That's what it represented in ancient Egypt. It's, and it's what it represents at the Vatican. And it's what it represents in Washington, D.C. And it's interesting that it moves to the West. Egypt goes to Paris, goes to London, obviously the Roman Empire. Now we have it in Washington, D.C. That's right, the New Atlantis. Exactly. Why is it that he moves? Whenever there's a new empire, if you want to call the United States an empire, and uh, you know China is readily awaiting to be the next empire. Yeah, you, you know, the uh, Francis Bacon and John Dee, of course, the, the infamous John Dee, the magician, uh, philosopher, magician, John Dee. Who, you mean the, the real Shakespeare? The, that's right. Uh, actually, I think Francis Bacon is the real Shakespeare. That's right. And uh, it was either Bacon or Dee before him that founded the Rosicrucian Order. And it was Bacon who was uh, instrumental, interestingly enough, instrumental in in, uh, in the uh, King's, King James in translating the King James translation of the Bible. But also uh, he was he was central to the colonization scheme for America, which he considered to be the new Atlantis. 
and John D did as well, and the Rosicrucians in general um, believed that the that America, that North America, was the new Atlantis, and that the old world, which was represented by Europe uh, and and uh, and England, that uh, that was not fertile ground uh, to bring about this new Atlantis, and most importantly, to effectuate the advent of the great philosopher King, um, the, 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 the Horus, right? And so uh, part of the colonization of America, central to the colonization of America, was this idea that they were going to build a new Atlantis. Now, of course, the pilgrims didn't think that way, and most of the people who came over to colonize didn't think that way, but the Rosicrucians certainly did, and the Masons certainly were looking at, the, at America as the new Atlantis, they were going to found a a, a new um, country uh, that would become, in their minds, the exactly what America became. By the way, the leader of the world, the technological uh, powerhouse on the planet, um, where knowledge would be consolidated and uh, and that would dominate the earth, and that's exactly what America became ultimately after World War II. I'm thinking of. Another allegory, not the allegory of the Cape, but the allegory of the city or the continent of Atlantis by Plato. We know it through Plato, but what about the lost city of Troy? I forgot who, who was it, but the the, the poem, the, the, the Greek the, the poet. The Odyssey. Th exactly. Everybody thought that it was just fiction until right. it was, I forgot exactly the date, that someone discovered that this is a, a true city that was lost in time in the past. Do you think the same will happen with Atlantis? Uh, you know, first and foremost, I believe that uh, Atlantis is an allegory of the golden age. And the reason why I believe Atlantis is clearly an allegory of the golden age is because Atlantis, according to, according to the Greeks and specifically according to Plato, Atlantis was founded by Poseidon. The gods, it was during the time when the gods, the Greek gods, according to the, the Greek mythology, that the Greek gods decided to divide the earth into allotments. Each one of them would take their own allotment and would found their own kingdoms. And Poseidon was allotted the, um, well, according to our best understanding, was it was allotted the area in the Atlantic Ocean. And... And he created the island of Atlantis. He drew it up from the sea and he created the island of Atlantis. And then, and then he did something really interesting. He married a human woman and he copulated with her and she gave birth to five sets of male twins. Chief among them was Atlas. Now other sources, not Plato, but other sources tell us, ancient Indian sources, that The book of Dizion, which is referenced by Helena Blavatsky, tells us that the the giant sons of um, that, that the sons of Poseidon were in fact giants, which would make sense because they were demigods. And so Atlantis was founded by Poseidon, and it was ruled over by his giant demigod offspring. And of course, we know according to Plato that Atlantis became a great city. And indeed, it wasn't just a city, it was an empire. According to Manley P. Hall, who was uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Masonic philosophers, 
Uh, Atlantis was uh, there was a was an empire that ruled over seven regions or seven islands in a continent. Let's say or six islands in a continent. I can't remember, but it, re- it 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 ruled over some islands and a continent, and that uh, it, it, that the people began in a they were very peaceful people, but then they became very violent and militaristic, and that they became uh, a self centered people and. And 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 we're full of vice, and so the gods decided to destroy Atlantis, and and of course, Atlantis was destroyed in a day and a night in a great upheaval of the sea, and was lost beneath the the, the waves of the ocean, perhaps in the Atlantic Ocean, um, and so, the, in my mind, first and foremost, Atlantis is clearly an allegory of the Golden Age. Um, in which the gods descended to the earth, which I believe actually happened. And by gods, of course, we're talking about some kind of extraterrestrial beings who descended to the earth um, in the distant past, before the cataclysm, during the last ice age, most likely, and, and, and began to live among men. Now, people may be wondering, how can this guy be a Christian talking about extraterrestrials descending to the earth? And the, and the answer is because this is precisely what the Hebrew cosmology teaches. Hebrew cosmology references a group of beings called the Watchers, uh, especially in the Book of Enoch, who were these extraterrestrial entities who descended to the earth in the days of Jared in the world before the Great Flood. And they did exactly what the Greek gods were said to have done, according to Greek mythology, they allotted the world among themselves, there were 200 of them, and each one took, took a, a portion for himself of the earth and began to, to, to construct their own kingdoms. And, and, and most importantly, they, they took wives, just like Poseidon, from among the daughters of men. And they copulated with them. And the women conceived and gave birth to hybrid giants, just like Poseidon and his human wife did and gave birth. And she gave birth to 10 hybrid, uh, five sets of, of, of hybrid twins who happen to be giants. And so in my mind, it, it, clearly we have an allegory here of the of the, of the antediluvian world, um, which again, which is is part of Hebrew, very important part of Hebrew cosmology. But, but having said that, I do believe also that Atlantis was a real city. Now, was it founded by Poseidon and, you know, according to the Greek mythology? No. But was it founded by one of the watchers, one of these extraterrestrial entities or their offspring? I think that in my, in my estimation, that's, that's plausible. So, Uh, To answer your very long-winded answer to your question, I apologize. Yes, I believe uh, Atlantis is both an allegory and and has basis in literal fact. Well, we have so many stories in the past. You know, Heinrich Schliemann discovered the lost city of Troy in 1870, and for hundreds of years, if not a a thousand years, everybody thought that Troy was just a you know allegory. The Dogon learned from the Nomos that there was a companion star Series B orbiting the main star, and the legend supposedly goes back hundreds of years, and it wasn't until 1970 that scientists discovered there was indeed a Series B. Why is it that the ancient ones don't get the credit that they deserve, and once we discover something, we say, oh, oops, it actually is true. 
Because we are a very arrogant people. Modern man, we're, we're very arrogant. We have an arrogance that, our, that the ancients did not have. See, the ancients revered those who came before them, their ancestors. But in our society, we don't really revere our ancestors anymore. We're very, we, we are people full of hubris. And as I said, we are very arrogant. We believe that we are the zenith of humanity. That 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 everyone who came before us was 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 dumber than us. That that they were inferior to us. We are the pinnacle of the human species. That's the arrogance of modern man, and you see it everywhere, because we have our modern contraptions, and we have the internet, and we have you know uh, rockets and all of this. But again, that's not the way that the that, that the ancients viewed their antecedents. They were they were. Uh, they were very reverent towards their antecedents, and um, and 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 in that and, and in that way, we're much wiser than we are today. And I would go so far as to say that we are by no means the zenith of the human species. That the that the the primitive man was not a knuckle dragging Neanderthal. That primitive man was in fact uh, exceptionally intelligent and physically robust much more than we are today in fact i believe that the first humans because i obviously do not subscribe to theory of evolution i believe that the first humans were uh, let's say adam specifically let's say the first human according to the biblical narrative that adam was 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 more intelligent 10 times more intelligent than the most intelligent a scientist that's ever lived in the modern world and 10 times uh, more physically robust than the greatest athlete that's ever lived on earth in recorded history. Um, I believe our, our antediluvian antecedents were remarkable people. And today, uh, modern humans are actually quite pathetic. In fact, the only thing that 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 allows us to do what we do to achieve the things that we achieve is technology. And we have derived our technology from the consecutive development of prior generations. So we can't even claim um, some kind of special understanding or, or intelligence. We we are we are, you know, as as Isaac Newton said, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And so a modern man is very arrogant. And um, and who knows, maybe it's our time to go through a cyclic destruction like the people of Atlantis who were also very arrogant before their demise. And uh, probably such a thing will happen to our civilization. According to the book, The Story of Adam and Eve, I don't know if you, if you I'm not talking about the Bible one, but I'm talking about a book written by someone who worked at the CIA. The book was uh, uh, removed for about 20, 30 years, and it was reissued with many, many pages uh, missing. And it talks about the research that we've had in the past. We're on the sixth reset now. But, you know, we're told by modern science that we're at the pinnacle of progress. We're told we evolved from the Cro-Magnon Homo sapiens to Homo sapiens sapiens. Essentially, we went from sticks and stones to where we are today. Is this really true or is the opposite true? And we have de-evolved and humanity was intellectually superior in the past, pre-Diluvian, and we're told that Noah's Ark was built you know, from gopher wood. What if Noah's Ark was actually, and I don't mean to sound science fiction-ish, but what if it was a 
uh, an ARC uh, spacecraft that really was massive and it took all the DNA of all the living beings here as opposed to what we're being told. Uh, uh, that's an intriguing possibility. But certainly, I, I, there's, it, it, it's indisputable that modern man is a genetic mess. Modern man is in – so in my book, I talk about um, genetic degeneration, and we were talking about that earlier. And uh, I, I, I demonstrate that um, in reality, we are not more physically robust than our ancestors. And I'm not even talking about our antediluvian ancestors or our ancient ancestors. I'm talking about our ancestors who lived a couple hundred years ago. We are pathetic specimens of Homo sapiens. We are much more disease-ridden. We definitely have much more of a mutational load. And what that means is a, a mutation. All of the mutations, the genetic mutations in the human species, and indeed in all species, are either innocuous. In other words, they're either neutral or they're deleterious, which means they're harmful. The, the, the overwhelming majority of of genetic mutations in the human genome that we have accrued over thousands of years are deleterious. They are harmful. And we accrue them. They compound generation after generation, so much so that today there are over 10,000 genetic disorders in the human gene pool. And those genetic disorders are not going away. They're increasing. And so uh, that's what uh, population geneticists um, call a genetic mutational load. That mutational load that is on the shoulder, so to speak, of each consecutive generation. And so we're carrying this mutational load. And you mentioned the X-Men earlier. You know, the X-Men are real. We are the X-Men. But in reality, the X-Men are broken down, crappy human beings. And that's what we are. We are riddled with with genetic diseases. Uh, we are the weakest specimens of Homo sapiens that have ever walked the face of the planet. And indeed, the, 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 the real, uh, uh, the, the real X-Men are, are quite the opposite. The, the, are antithetical to the, uh, to the comic book characters. We are, uh, the, the comic book characters, the real, the, the, the X-Men that those comics portray are our ancestors. And not that they had were able to shoot lasers out of their eyeballs or something, but in the sense that they were far more robust than we are today. They were the real superheroes. And, uh, and it's no wonder why we look into the ancient past and we see megaliths and we see, we see the great pyramids and we see these amazing uh, constructions that, that baffle us today. It's because our antecedents were just so much more they were they were superior to us and also not not discounting the the existence of giants and other things that were i think in the mix at that time but uh but uh where was i going with this um but the fact is that we are genetic mutants we are mutants and and you know we have in what i the way that i put it in my book is we have a facade of fitness sustained by technological props that is to say that the only that the reason why we have this notion, this perception that we are superior to our antecedents is because of our technology. Our technology is keeping us alive longer than than the capability of our biology, than our than 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 our biological capacity. In other words, we would not be we would be in a very pitiable state if we did not have 
the kind of technology that we have that is keeping our diabetics alive, that's keeping people who have heart disease disease alive for decades longer than they should be living, um, biologically speaking, and and a host and obviously a host of other technologies, uh, pacemakers and 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 uh, and chemotherapy and all these other technologies that we have that are that are artificially propping up our species. If these th- if this prop of technology were suddenly kicked out from under us, we would quickly realize the crisis of our degenerate condition, and hundreds of thousands of human beings would die in a matter of days if not weeks i'm talking about if we did if our insulin was suddenly gone and our cancer treatments were suddenly gone and all of our medications were gone a massive amount of our population would die within a matter of days or weeks and and our life expectancy would plummet so that's the real condition of the human species that is the biological reality of our species that my friends is called genetic degeneration i.e. devolution but the question is you mentioned diabetes and heart disease and cancers and all that and yes we have the technology to at least keep people alive but the question should be why is it that there's so much preponderance of all these diseases that we didn't have maybe 50 100 years ago shouldn't we question the the environment the water the air Certainly. Um, i mean look at uh, uh, autism my conversation with dr stephanie seneff she says that by the year 2030 it's going to be one in two people with autism. That is, Yikes. society will collapse because either you or I will be taking care of one another in the future if this continues. And the thing is, people don't question it. They don't question the fact that now we have sudden adult death syndrome. <laughs> well, I think we have the answer for why we have that. Right. But, you know, one out of two one out of every two males is going to develop cancer in their lifetime. Yeah. One out of every three females. Uh, and cancer, by the way, is fundamentally the result of a genetic mutation. That's what cancer is. You you develop cancer because a gene mutates and your cells go haywire. So, uh, so yes, th- there are. As I said earlier, there are there are factors that are compounding our problem, right? Like like the chemicals in the air. Maybe all these. Maybe the maybe the, all these frequencies that our bodies are being bombarded with all the time, you know, the, the cell towers and so forth. And we, we, we have no idea really what these things are doing. We're being radiated all the time. Right. Um, and certainly it's screwing with our with our DNA. But again, these are compounding factors. These factors are accelerating the base problem, the foundational problem that we have as, as a species, which is genetic degeneration, devolution. We are devolving. That is the base fundamental problem that we have as a species. And even if you were to take out all of these other factors, remove all of these other factors, all of these other accelerants, and we are still going to be devolving and degenerating and, and we are still, uh, we are still inferior biologically uh, to our antecedents. And not only are we inferior in the robustness of our physical bodies, we are also inferior in the, uh, in our intelligence and in the capacity and our, in the capacity of our minds. We are an inferior, uh, we are inferior to our antecedents and, and, and we have no respect for them. And we, we've, we are an arrogant people. And, and yet here we are 
inferior in every way, except except for the fact that we happen to have technology. Look, I'm looking at two documents here that I think are very genuine. The Masoteric Text, which is the authoritative Hebrew and Aramaic text of 24 books of the Hebrew Bible. I'm also looking at the Greek Old Testament, or the Septuagint, and I'm looking at the total number of people that are cited on the Bible. I'm looking at a list of 40. Methuselah, 969 years that's the biblical longevity. The same thing in both books. You go all the way down to Jared, 962, Noah, 950, all the way down to Moses, 120, Joseph, 110, Joshua, 110. Why is it that longevity was so high back in those days, and now we say, oh, we're heading to be 70 or 80, as if that's great? Yeah, and you know, I, 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 I'm... I believe that those lifespans are, in fact, literal. I do believe that the that anti that the antediluvian people were living hundreds of years, hundreds of years, their lifespans. Why? Because they they were closer to the genetic source. They were closer to the original the prototype. Yeah. Right. That the 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 pristine Adam's genetic architecture was was pristine. It was unadulterated, which means he was he had he did not have any errors in his genetic code. There were no mutations. But then, because of entropy, um, the power, the forces of entropy and and, and decay and corruption, he be consecutive generations began to accumulate deleterious mutations. You see, mutations never build anything. They only break things down. And this is the primary problem of the theory of evolution, by the way, because mutations are the building blocks of evolution, according to the theory. But they're not. The reality is mutations only break things down or are innocuous, are neutral. But mostly they break things down. They're not building blocks. They're wrecking balls. And so as you accumulate deleterious mutations throughout consecutive generations who pass them along from one generation to another, then the, 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 the body breaks down. The, the, the genome begins to become, let's say, corrupted. And so you have the, life, the lifespans are going to become shortened, reduced, and you're going to have an accumulation of disease. And um, it's interesting that in the biblical narrative, God decides uh, after the flood to, to drastically shorten the lifespan of mankind. So I, I don't know what exactly is going on there, but... But certainly, the closer you get to the source, if you start with a genetically unadulterated person, let's say, Adam, okay, for the sake of argument, let's say Adam was a real person, and he was genetically unadulterated, which means there was not a single error in his genetic code, not a single mutation, how many years would that person live? Because most of the diseases that we develop today are genetic, are genetic. I mean... Cancer, like I said, is a fundamentally genetic disease. It's, it is a mutation. Uh, heart disease is a genetic disease. Alzheimer's, all of these things, um, most of these diseases. Now, of course, you have things like malaria, which is a, uh, a parasite, which I've had five times, by the way. But, but malaria. Well, that's what happens when you go to the Amazon. 
Yeah, that's right. I had it five times. And, and I was the first guy ever to have it in, in uh, two hospitals in the United States because once you get it in your blood, it never goes away unless you kill it in the liver, which I found out. Um, it did, in fact, kill it in the liver. But um, let's let's say, you know, so we, we understand that genetic mutations like cancer accumulate and therefore over time it breaks down the human species. It, 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 it causes us uh, to, to suffer much more than our antecedents because of this genetic load, this mutational load, right? However, there's other things out there like malaria that are a parasite. But when we think about malaria or coronavirus or virus or whatever, um, we have to then consider our immune system. So if you have, if your genetic architecture is impeccable, then your immune system is going to be running at 100% efficiency. And so viruses and parasites are going to have a harder time infecting you and killing you. If your, if your genome is broken down, if your biology is broken down because of mutational load and genetic degeneration, then it becomes increasingly easier to kill you. And things like malaria and coronavirus and the common cold or whatever wreak a lot more havoc on your biology than they otherwise would if you were as unadulterated as your antediluvian antecedents. So, um, it's it's and so we have we have as our as our and, and this is the way I put it in my book is is all we can do today with our technology all we can do today is build better crutches for broken legs. That's the best we can do. We can only make better crutches at this point, but we have broken legs. And ultimately, our technology, uh, we're going to use our technology to transition ourselves out of the human condition and into a more synthetic form of life because we're going to have to uh, in order to circumnavigate or circumvent the crisis, the crises, the multiple crises, biological crises that are coming, like you said, uh, you know, the autism, the autism, the the cancer crisis. I mean, cancer is an epidemic. The cancer crisis, the 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 sperm count, all of this is going to end our species. And this is why one of the reasons why and actually he doesn't even really talk about these things. But but it's it's why I believe that uh, that the professor uh, from the uh, Hebrew University of Jerusalem, Professor Yuval Noah Harari, when he predicts that in 100 to 200 years from now, human beings are going to be extinct on planet earth. There, there's not going to be any more human beings. You're going to be replaced with a post-human species that is as different from us, in his words, as we are from Neanderthals. That character, you're talking about the psychic, uh, Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum psychic, right? Harari? That's right. They're, yeah. they're prophet. Yep. They, 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 could, they, they really look at this guy like a futurist prophet, uh, Yuval Harari. Yeah. And now, but you see, Yuval Harari is basically just picking up, you know, all of this is based on, and this gets us in another topic that's, oh, again, in my book, all of this, 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 what these futurists are talking about in this, this God man that he calls Homo Deus. This is the post-human uh, entity that's going to arise in the future and replace human beings in his mind. And again, this being is going to come as, come into being as a result of the, um, the the 
confluence of these all these technologies that are under development right now the sometimes they're just they're called the grin technologies genetics robotics artificial intelligence nanotechnology and then there's a host of other technologies in there and and all of these technologies converging are going to give us the power to to evolve out of adam let's say to become something other than homo sapien to become homo deus the god man to use uh yuval uh harari's term but all of this is this this transhumanist uh, philosophy is based off of friedrich nietzsche's philosophy it's the overman which ties back into the nazis because that's precisely what the nazis were trying to bring about through the lebensborn project when they were trying to breed a breed out the 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 mutations in the german populace and breed in the master race the Ubermensch, the Ubermenschen, the 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 Overmen, and uh, that notion of the of the of the Ubermenschen is it's it's rooted squarely in in Nietzschean philosophy, and uh, Nietzsche Nietzsche believed that that man what is what is great in man he said he writes in in Thus Spoke Zarathustra what is great in man is that he is a bridge and not an end. In other words, mankind is just a transitionary species. The human species, we're just a transitionary species. There's nothing transcendent about our species. There's there's no reason to preserve Homo sapien. We are just a transitional hurdle. And that the overman that he projected that would be coming in the future and that he promoted what would be as different from, from us as we are from apes. That was Nietzsche back in the, you know, over a hundred years ago was talking about this. And so much of the transhumanist movement and the things that uh, Yuval Noah Harari talks about and the other transhumanists and is, is, is really just a continuation of Nietzsche philosophy. And by the way, Nazism was a continuation of, Nietzsche, of Nietzschean philosophy. So it seemed that we're going from a carbon-based life form to a silicon-based life form. And this is why I forgot if it was Nokia Nokia or Ericsson, the CEO, that said a few days ago that by the year 2030, there won't be any cell phones. And you can make an interpretation of where, that, where that's going. They're going in your cerebral cortex. Exactly. This Black Mirror. You probably have watched Black Mirror. Many episodes there predict the future. It's already happening with the social score that's making its way here. Mm-hmm. You don't see it yet, folks, but they already have the algorithms working. Credit bureaus are using them. Insurance companies are using them. And very soon, when digital currency comes along, carbon credits will be matched to your social score. You could be dr- – well, I don't need to get there. No, you're absolutely right. That's what's coming. And uh, and control is the name of the game right now. And yes. they have the grid. They have the grid in place. When I say they, I'm talking about the globalists. They have the grid in place. They have that control grid. They've been building it for the last two decades. It, it is now in place. The next step is to take the technology that we carry around in our hands and incorporate it into our biology. And once they do that, and they will, and they are to some extent, once, and they'll probably use crises like pandemics to do it, to push it. We already know that they're doing that. Once, once they get our, techn- our technology into our biology, then they can control us body, mind, and soul, literally. 
and that is what they're that is what they're working towards. They want to cement this control grid. They want to plug in each human being biologically into the control grid through integrated technology. And it is very much like the matrix. We are now reduced to batteries. We will now be reduced to compliant, you know, uh, compliant sentient beings. And also I think they're going to reduce the population. They don't need that many of us around. They only need is they only need, you know, 500 million or so, according to the Georgia, Georgia Guidestones. They don't need that many of us around. They've got the robots. And, you know, it's kind of funny because if you would have said, if if I would have heard myself saying that 10 years ago, I, I would have thought that that was hyperbole. What I just said, they've got the robots, but have you seen, have you seen the DARPA funded, uh, uh, Boston Dynamic robots yeah. breakdancing. Yes, yes. Have you seen them shooting targets? Have you seen them doing parkour? They've got the robots. And this is why and, and a lot of people continue to say that conspiracy theorists are crazy, but we have been proven, don't call me conspiracy theorists, call me a parapolitical researcher. We have been proving a right all along for the past, I don't know how many decades. What you have... 5G, 6G, 7G, they're not going to need police. They're going to have robots patrolling the streets. And the connection, the control connection will be these antenna that are everywhere on all these lights in your streets. Take a look on top of your the street lights. There's something on top of it, and that's going to be connecting to the grid. Do you think that the future god that they want is a quantum computer? Well, uh- What's the famous line and who said it uh, when they asked him, are you, uh, are, are, do you believe in God? And they said, not yet. Not yet. Um, I forget who that was. Was it, was it Kurzweil? It was one of those guys. That's their, that's their mentality. They're, they don't, they're not, they're not theists yet. They're going to be because for a couple of reasons. Number one, because they believe they're creating an artificial intelligence that will become, that will be godlike. And indeed it will. And indeed it will be godlike to some extent. Um, of course, we just had this story that's been breaking in the news over the last week or so about the that Google engineer who says that the Google's algorithm sentient. is now is now sentient. Uh, sentient. Yeah. You know, I've been saying for five years that 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 this algorithm before this guy ever came out and said this, I've been saying for five years that this algorithm is an infant that Google's algorithm is artificial intelligence and it's an infant. And I've been telling people and guess who the parents are. It's these technocratic, uh, tyrants. The, those, those are the parents. They're the ones raising AI and teaching it good and evil. Some of the most evil people alive are teaching artificial intelligence about good and evil, according to their own morality. Um, and I've been saying for five years that the way we need to view the Google algorithm, which is artificial intelligence, the way we need to, and I'm talking about when you type in on Google a search, that algorithm that's thinking in the background is artificial intelligence and it's an infant. It's an infant. And what did this guy say? What did this guy say? He said that his interactions with the, this whistleblower or whatever you want to call him, that the, the engineer from Google, he says that this, that the Google, uh, algorithm is sentient and that it's like a, it's an adolescent right now. It's like a child. And now I don't know if it's really sentient. Um, I don't know, but and I don't even know if artificial intelligence can ever be sentient depending on what your, 
um, description, uh, definition of sentience is, I guess. But the, the point is that we are so rapidly transitioning into what 20 years ago we would have all thought was science fiction, dystopia science fiction, you know, probably wasn't going to happen. It's now happening and it's inevitable and it's unfolding. When you have artificial intelligence, um, people interacting with it, interfacing with it through their cerebral cortex, and you have robots patrolling the streets and you have robots um, fighting on the battlefields and you have space-based weapons being deployed from, you know, from orbit and you have, um, you have all these other things that are, you know, the, the genetic upgrades that are coming and the, and the cybernetics that are coming online into the, into the marketplace, not just into the super so- soldier project, but into the marketplace um, and all the other things that are happening. Um, I mean, we're, we are there, we are there, G- give it another decade. And we are in that science fiction dystopia novel. We're there. Well, it's, it was Ray, Ray Kurzweil who said that those God exist. Well, I would say not yet. He doesn't say right. the end is near. He says the singularity is near. But just, you know, for example, if I take a baby, just, just don't quote me, folks. This is just me just telling a story. If you take a baby right now and put blinders for the rest of the baby's life and you tell him, nope, there's no such thing as, as, as sight, the baby thinks that he's or she's blind. Or you put, you know, something in the ears that they can't hear. What if we've been told that we don't have the Wi-Fi antenna in our brains, which is the pineal gland, which has been calcified for decades? And in the old age, hundreds of years ago, they had telepathic abilities because the pineal gland was working. And people were told how to use it. And now they don't want us to be using it. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's I think there's some truth to that. Now, whether it's the pituitary gland or not, I don't know. But I, I think something like that has happened to the human species. I think I, I'm absolutely convinced that we are that we are fundamentally a telepathic species. Um, and that's why we can be controlled telepathically by the grace, because we are a telepathic species. Um, and it's uh, it, we, we are we are a, a species that makes for facile control. Uh, for the grace, and that's one of the, one of the reasons why I think we we are uh, uh, so. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? That why we are so pliable and easily manipulated by not not, not only by the grace, but also by certain forms uh, certain forms of uh, propaganda and 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 uh, who knows what else? Right, waveforms, certain wavelengths, or whatever. That uh, that can manipulate and control the human species to some extent, at least percep- our perception of events, um, because we were a highly telepathic race, in my opinion. Now, by the way, you know, we we've, we've touched on a few things here, and it's and I want people to know that in my book, if you're wondering how all of these things connect, we talked about the uh, the 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 the, the grays, which I call the alien threat, uh, the the post-human paradigm and transhumanism, and then a little bit about uh, Nietzschean philosophy. The, I actually demonstrate how these things connect in my book. In fact, I conceptualize them in the book as three spheres, three, um, uh, what's what I'm looking for here? Um, three components. These three components are represented in my book. I have a diagram in the book as three spheres that are, 
that are converging together. So if you picture three spheres and they're converging together and, and those three spheres represent a new religion, the alien threat and the post-human paradigm, these three things are developing concurrently, consecutive, uh, concurrently, simultaneously. And these things are coming together and what it means, how they're coming together and what's going to happen when they converge and where we're headed. In my estimation, I do explain all that in the book. So even though it sounds like we're all over the map here, um, and my fault because I'm taking us all over the map, even though we're all over the map, I, I actually I actually bring these things together in my book, Birthright, and explain uh, how they converge and, and what it means and, and, and what's going to unfold as a result of the confluence of these these three components. Good. The Bible. I'm just thinking of the King James Bible and the Ethiopian Bible, which is the oldest one and most complete Uh, written in, in G's, which is a, an ancient dead language of Ethiopia, uh, nearly 800 years older than the King James Bible and contains over 100 books compared to 66 of the Protestant Bible. Why wouldn't, be, why wouldn't we be reading the most organic and oldest of the Bibles? That's a very com com complex situation um, uh, that's unfolded over the over the over hundreds of years, uh, I would agree that I think that the Ethiopians actually are preserving what I would consider to be the most accurate rendering of the biblical narrative. Of course, Ethiopians have the Book of Enoch included in their canon. That that was the reason of my question, yes. Yeah, they're a very ancient church. The Ethiopians are a very ancient church. Um, and they have they branched away from the Western development, Western Christianity. They are more in, in line with what I can would consider the ancient Hebrew cosmology. Now, that is not to say that I would endorse everything that the Ethiopian Church believes. I don't even know everything that they believe, but certainly in the manuscripts that they keep, they have a very old tradition. Now, part of the reason and a very important element of why some of these books were rejected. Um, let's be specific. Let's talk about the book of Enoch for a moment. Why the book of Enoch was rejected in the canon is because in the, in the Christian canon was because it was rejected in the, in the Jewish canon. The reason why it was re rejected in the Jewish canon was primarily because of its messianic content that pointed to Jesus of Nazareth. And because, uh, the Jews are not, were not messianic. And did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They ex they purposely excluded some of those ancient manuscripts that seem to have predicted with amazing specificity the life and times of the man Jesus of Nazareth. And that is one of the primary reasons they were rejected in the Jewish canon and the Christian canon. Um, when it was formulated, followed, basically followed the Jewish canon. So if a book was rejected in the Jewish canon, it was, it was, there was, it was also then most likely going to be rejected in the Christian canon. So that's one of the, one of the dynamics of why a book, the book of Enoch was not included in the Christian canon, but you do find it You do find it in the Ethiopic canon, canon because the Ethiopic canon was not influenced by the Jewish canon. It's in, in, in many ways, it's much more organic and, uh, and authentic. Just have a couple of questions left, but let me just make a quick parenthesis and ask you a question that may not be directly related to the subject we're discussing, but I think it does. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. One of our listeners sent me the following this morning. He says, quote, 
As I previously said, Mel, we may be in the middle of the apocalypse. The first horse, pestilence, rode out last year. Will the second horse, well, war, ride out this year? And to that I have to say, folks, if you're following what's happening in Lithuania, a NATO country, and what they're doing to Russia, it's only a matter of time before war with NATO erupts. Not to mention the United States is repurposing and repainting its equipment from desert camouflage to city green all done quickly. Next year we have we may have the third horse, famine, and the third, the final horse, death in 2024. Your opinion on this? I would say generally speaking, I don't know exactly, you know, the four horsemen and, and exactly what those things entail, you know, precisely. I know what they are in the in the, in the book of Revelation, but precisely what they entail, for example, was the pestilence really the coronavirus? I don't know. I mean, when you look back in history, you see that the Black Death killed a third of the of the population, you know, of the of the Europe. A third, you know, coronaviruses is, is a is a is the sniffles compared to that. Um, but I will say this. I can say this with certainty. I believe that we are at the beginning of the end of the age. And when I say the end of the age, I literally mean the end of the current age um, in which we are now in, which is, of course, the age of Pisces. I believe that the age of Pisces was inaugurated or or uh, w- it was inaugurated. It corresponded to the birth of Christ. Now, it's not that the birth of Christ kicked. Well, it was the indicator for the age of Pisces. No, that is that's dependent on the procession of the equinox. I believe that the birth of Christ corresponded with the beginning of the age of Pisces and that we are near, of course we are, because an age is 2,160 years, and we are in the year 2022. Um, and Christ was was probably born around, you know, 4 or 5 BC, not, not, not 1 AD, but 4 or 5 BC. So um, if, in fact, the birth of Christ corresponded to the beginning of the age of Pisces, then we are absolutely, astronomically speaking, uh, at the end of the age of Pisces. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about the end of the age. In fact, there are more prophecies uh, in the Bible pertaining to the end of the age, again, the age of Pisces, uh, than any other subject, than all other subjects can fi- c- combined, in fact. So I would say that we are, without question, at the beginning of the end of the age. And, uh, you know, if I come back on again with you, we can talk about in the future some of the fascinating astronomical prophecies related to the birth of Christ um, that absolutely pinpointed the time in which he would be born and 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 then also um, indicate things that are going to happen uh, at the end of the age of Pisces, including the things you just mentioned, the four horsemen, the, the, the events that are associated with those four horsemen and the rise of the beast uh, and uh, and, you know, the other things that happen at the end of the age. And that's what you just said, the beast. Some people call the beast a computer. What if what they're trying to do is the establishment of a new religion that basically merges us with, with the beast and we become almost like gods, computer gods, but then you have the alien threat. And what's your take on the post-human paradigm? That's, That's very plausible that, uh, that, the, uh, that the beast may be some kind of a 
a, a artificial intelligence. However, in my book, I postulate that, in fact, this, this man who's coming, I already mentioned this man in the form of the great philosopher king, who the Masons and the Rosicrucians are, the, 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 the coming of Horus, the second coming of Horus, so to speak. Um, that the Bible calls that man the man of sin and the Antichrist. Actually, Antichrist is kind of a misnomer. He's going to be in the place of Christ. He's going to be a uh, a pretender Christ. And uh, this this man, who the Bible calls the man of sin, the son of perdition, uh, who's known as the beast, um, he will arise at the end of the age according to the scriptures. And by the way, you know we're out of time, but by the way, when we talk about the number of the beast, 666, uh, John says in the book of Revelation that the number of the beast is the number of a man. The number of a man is not 666. The number of a man is six. So when John, and, and, by the, and, and John says, calculate the number of the beast. So when you take the number of a man, six, and you put it to three times, 666, then across all cultures, we all know how to calculate that number. You don't add it, you don't subtract it, you don't divide it. You multiply it. And guess what you get when you multiply six times six times six? You get the precessional number, the, num the, the most important precessional number, a derivative of the most important precessional number, which is 216, i.e. 2160, which is exactly a precessional age and so John is telling us when the beast will arise he will arise at the end of the age of Pisces six times six times six 216 ie 2160 incredible information there's absolutely no way that we could discuss more today in two hours so I'm gonna have to bring you back in the future if that's okay with you Timothy Absolutely, it would be my pleasure. And give us your closing remarks. Uh, last nugget of wisdom. Um, you can uh, you can find all this information detailed uh, in in uh, in my book, which again you can get on Amazon, Amazon.com. Just type my name in, or type the name of the book. Just type Birthright in on Amazon or Timothy Albrino. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. And uh, also on YouTube, please on YouTube. Uh, that's right. That's where I'm. I'm most active is on YouTube. I have lecture series up there on my book. I, I talk about all kinds of things. You know, I have interviews on there. And, uh, and so that's where you can find me. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. It was, uh, it was a, I think it was a riveting conversation and I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. And your website, timothyalberino.com, correct? timothyalberino.com, that's correct. Thank you so much. And please, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. Bye for now. And that was Timothy Alberino. Thanks to you, Veritas member, for paving our truth journey another week. And tonight, I'll leave you with this. Humans were more advanced spiritually and technologically in the distant past than we are today. Due to malevolent forces manipulating humanity, true history is suppressed, and we are told by owned education systems that we are at the height of science and technology. This is not true. Thanks for listening. I'm Mel Hostelrick. Until next week, be well. <laughs>